everybody. Welcome back to the History of FMW. This is going to be episode number nine. In this episode, we're, we're going to cover the first half of 1993. Uh, to start out in January, uh, FMW opened on January 5th with the show in Kurokin Hall. Uh, that was main evented by Onita and Godo defeating Sabu and Sheik. Now, um, in the last show, we talked... We, uh, uh, we talked about how Onita jumped into a river and he got infections in his cuts, but here he is wrestling about 20 days later. Um, is Onita sick at sick at this time, or or is he fine? Um, no, there was nothing um, that resulted in him missing any time. He, you know, he when he nearly died due to jumping into the uh, the lake. Um, it resulted in, you know, having to go to the hospital and everything, but um, after about three weeks, he was able to go. Now, there were reports, um, I believe, by Dave Meltzer believing that uh, when Onita ended up missing time a month later, it was a result of the lake, uh, jumping into the lake. But as um, when I asked around, it was I was given no. It was definitely not due to jumping into the lake um, that he missed any time. All right, cool. Um, and 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 this is a side comment that maybe you know, maybe you don't. But um, I used to work in in a plasma center, and we were told that uh, you cannot replenish your red blood cells, but once every eight weeks. Does losing blood does it take a you know does it cumulatively add like add up to more serious risk of infection? Um, I haven't heard that before. I'm, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you're kind of playing with fire when it comes to something like that, but I don't believe that, you know, I mean, and Onita's not even the, probably, you know, even the most wrestler that's bladed the most in his life. You know, there's been so many others, but I haven't heard anyone ever getting seriously ill or anything like that. But I mean, it might've had something to do with that specific incident. Okay. It's just something I, I've always wondered. Um, and let's see, uh, the next day at... Kurokin on the the six. The main event was was a barbed wire match, a face versus face match between Goto and Onita, where uh, Goto actually won. Um, what led to them doing this face versus face match with seemingly no build and no storyline? Well, they um, they kind of had feuded back in November, December um, of '92 because Goto had separated and was teaming with Big Titan, and um, you know, the, and so they t ended up, you know, facing off in December. So, and they had made up afterwards because uh, Big Titan and Tarzan Goto split after the tag tournament. So Onita and Goto had already made up, but this was essentially just to it was a big matchup. Um, you know, and they had back-to-back -back Corrigan Hall shows, and they, you know, they needed a gate. They needed, you know, a, two uh, legit main events that can draw. And so this was just the best-case scenario because there wasn't really anyone else that they could bring in at that moment that was going to draw like Tarzan Goto. All right, cool. Um, also, uh, also on this show, uh, A.G. Azaki, he has a match against Katsuji Ueda, and you wrote that backstage Ueda and... Others were saying that Ozaki, or I'm sorry, were saying that Izaki is going to be the next big star. Um, is there a timetable to reinvent him after a year of being the opening match, you know, young boy? Not at this time. I mean, everybody kind of knew that he, you know, uh, the Sheik called him the golden boy. You know, they knew he was going to be a star. They saw him. They knew he was going to be, and he knew he was going to be a star. Um, you know, he, he had that confidence about himself. Um, you know, I, I'm the best guy. I'm the best worker here. I'm going to be the top guy eventually, even with Onita on top, you know, and I mean, he would tell Ricky Fuji that I'm going to be the top guy and Ricky Fuji would be like, yeah, okay. You know, Onita's always going to be the top guy. So he always had that confidence about himself. And, you know, and they knew, you know, he was going to be something because they made sure, you know, to protect his moonsaults. You know, no one was supposed to ever kick out of that move. So even, you know, a year in, you know, they're already putting the seeds of he's going to be the top guy, but they don't have a long-term plan at this point um, as far as when he was going to be the top guy because they didn't know, you know, obviously that Onita was going to retire. But once Onita decided he was going to retire, um, he was kind of in the mindset of he's going to be the new top guy. All right, and on that 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 topic, when this show is finished during the Onita Theater, he actually mentions to the crowd that he doesn't know how much longer he'll be able to do this. Uh, and I always love reading those comments. <laughs> um, uh, moving forward, on January 12th, um, in Osaka, Ricky Fuji and the Foreigners would form a team. Uh, what was the storyline behind this show? Pretty much, uh, Ricky Fuji ended up turning on Onita uh, during the match. Um, he 
took a chair. So it was an elimination match, and Ricky Fuji had been eliminated, and he ended up taking a chair to um, Tarzan Goto and smashing it um, behind him and helping um, the Foreigners, Big Titan, the Gladiator, win their match. And so he ended up joining up with Gladiator, Big Titan, and they would uh, form uh, Team Canada. And was this in response to anybody leaving, or was it just an idea for a new angle? It was just an idea for a new angle. Um, you know, they set it up by the day before uh, Ricky Fuji had beaten uh, and go, uh, by using a chair. And, and Goto was really upset about how he, you know, beat a young boy just, you know, using a chair. And so Ricky Fuji didn't really, you know, appreciate the words. And so he ended up turning on him the next day. But yeah, it was essentially just to get, um, you know, just change things around. Ricky had been a face for a couple of years at this point and, uh, you know, start something new, set, you know, for the new year. Cool. Now, um, on the 18th, uh, Onita fa faced the Sheik in the main event. And uh, Onita, would, uh, Onita would win Sheik's United States title. Um, what is the history of this title, and, and what are the angles going in and out of this match? Uh, it pretty much um, the 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 United States title goes back to the 50s. It was originally in the NWA um, Chicago territory as their U.S. title. It eventually um, wound up in Michigan um for the sheik's promotion and essentially uh the sheik ended up buying the title so he had control of who you know and it was his promotion and everything so he uh um you know he controlled who won and he would win you know he very rarely ever did jobs and whatnot so it was pretty much his title for a good 20 years off and on um once the promotion folded he still kept a hold of the title and so it had meaning you know it had been around since the 50s and J japanese are very um uh, respectable towards you know history and you know something a, a title reign you know a title belt that you know goes that far back um and so after onita defeated the sheik he ends up going you know uh he wins the united states title and he goes you know this is your title sheik i want you to have it back and so he gives the title back to the sheik um and the sheik ends up turning face but also during this time period uh in japan uh the sheik ended up getting the title belt the united states title stolen by by a fan Wow, did they ever get it back? I don't think so. That is so sad. <laughs> that just kind of made me sad. Um, one thing that's funny is actually my aunt, because we're from the Detroit area, my aunt has a photo with the Sheik and that title, which I thought was actually... You know, oh, really? Yeah, when I was doing the, the, the research, I was like, oh, I've seen that title before. My aunt has a photo with it. Um, now, uh, on the 19th, oh, and I just want to say, uh, it's, it's, it's just funny seeing all of the angles revolving around Onita. You know, he has like a giant stable of heels to fight off at this time. Um, on the 19th, Dave reported that Onita Sheik and Sabu wrestled Team Canada in a fire death match. Um, and I've seen this reported as a fire death match in one other place. What type of match uh, uh, was this? It was a barbed wire match. I think it was just a typo. Dave, uh, I believe, wrote as, as a barbed fire match. And so it probably just resulted in confusion and just seeing the word fire. But it was just a barbed wire match. Uh, there was no fire. I mean, the Sheik might have thrown a fireball during the match, but there was no, it wasn't like the the, the year before where the ring was set on fire or anything like that. All right, cool. Um, go, uh, go, uh, going into news of the other uh promotions um wing ran a show over over new year's eve that apparently went until about two or three in the morning uh, it had uh won the caribbean title which set him up for uh for an excursion later in the year and uh on january 7th wing, wing ran a show where gypsy c joe he went to a draw with masahiko takasugi and uh earlier in the the Earlier in 1992, Gypsy Joe lost a retirement cage match, uh, and Dave noted that Joe was going around telling people he had no intention of actually quitting. Why, why was Wing doing the retirement storyline if they knew they had no way of actually paying it off? Um, they probably just didn't care. I'm guessing it was just more of, Hey, let's get this as, you know, this seems like a legit thing. You know, Gypsy, Gypsy Joe is old. Um, and you know, we can get, you know, we can get a gate from it. Um, and I know he ended up wrestling a bunch of like expedition matches afterwards were like five minute draws and everything like that. So yeah, he, he wrestled, um, you know, he was 
so those technically weren't matches right away, but then eventually he ended up wrestling in tag matches anyway. So it was kind of, oh, you know, uh, look, I'm just wrestling these matches that don't count. But then, you know, a couple weeks later, he's wrestling in real matches and it's just forgotten. All right, cool. Um, in the 1992 awards uh, throughout the year, Onita doesn't crack any of the top tens, actually. But uh, Matsunaga came in at number six for the favorite wrestler of 1992. He came in at number eight for the most for the most I- improved. And uh, his match from March uh, against Pogo in, 19, in 1992 came in at the number 10 spot. And even Jason the Terrible ranked number eight for the most popular foreigner. Um, is there a sense that Wing is starting to take FMW's spot? Not really. It was kind of the new hot thing at this moment. Um, so, you know, like when it comes to this, when it comes to those kind of awards, it's more of the smart fans that are voting and everything. And at this point, um, you know, Onita wasn't the new hot thing anymore. He, you know, FMW had been around three years or so and, you know, they had developed their own, you know, um, audience and whatnot. But Wing, you know, this was, you know, 92 was kind of their first full year, big year. You know, Matsunaga is now the new star. Um, you know, they're having this fire death match and all this, you know, all these new things that FMW wasn't doing even. So it was just kind of this hot new thing. And so just it's, you know, at this point in January 93, it's just Wing is kind of, you know, more favorited by the fans going, oh, FMW, you know, that's old news. You know, I'm into Wing now, you know, this new, you know, this new product. Cool. Um, also, uh, uh, Wing is going to be sending talent to a show on February 13th for a group called the Pro Wrestling Connection. I'm always just really curious. Do you know anything about this federation? That was actually Pro Wrestling Crusaders. So it was the PWC uh, promotion that was ran by um, that was ran by uh, Shunji uh, Takano and George Takano. Um, they had wrestled in the SWS promotion in the past, and they were breaking away from the NOW promotion, which was Kendo Nagasaki's, and, and they started up uh, PWC. So that was that their promotion. All right. And speaking of the N the NOW, Dave also reports that FMW and uh, Now are going to be trading talent. Uh, now is the distant third hardcore fed. What is the goal of this of this arrangement between the two of them? Uh, to get Onita on the show um, so that they could draw better shows in Corrigan because Onita's always going to draw a good audience uh, at Corrigan Hall. And uh, for now, they wanted uh, the FNW uh, side, they wanted Kendo Nagasaki, um, you know, to feud with Onita, you know, based off their uh, 1990 uh, feud. So it was just kind of, you know, we you scratch our back, we'll scratch your back. But uh, things not didn't things didn't break in away fast because now wasn't doing very well. All right, and uh, we're going to be learning more about now. Um, one thing that's actually fun is watching now because now becomes something else that we'll go over in the next few episodes. Going into February, the big news is going to be that Horace Boulder is going to be leaving FMW for New Japan. Um, now, uh, Dave notes that New Japan does not like to hire uh, stars from well stars from smaller federations. Uh, what led to Horace being the one to be signed? He hadn't had, he wasn't really working for FNW um, at the time. He had probably not really been around since September or so. Um, so it had been several months, and he was mostly working um, for WWF on how uh, you know house shows or dark matches under a mask gimmick. Um, you know, and this is '93. This is around the time Hulk Hogan came back, and you know, uh, with them being uh you know nephew and uncle uh you know hogan got him a job and everything so that you know he was getting kind of you know touring around wwf at this time so he hadn't really worked for uh fmw at uh lately and so he got a deal with new japan it was just one tour um he never came back um and he ended up going back to wwf at the time uh and working and you know he he was living in tampa he was starting his own tampa promotion as well around this time period Okay, cool. Um, on February 5th, Wing ran, uh, they ran Kurokin Hall, and they had a Loser Leaves Town match where they had the baby faces, which would be Mr. Pogo, Matsu Naga, uh, Mitsuturu Tokuda, and, and Kanemura. They took on Kim, Kim Duck uh, and uh, several stars from, from Puerto Rico. Uh, the match lasted 31 minutes. Uh, the rules were if Pogo's team lost, he would have to re retire and if duck's team team lost the same thing what was the storyline fallout from this match 
So it actually goes back to two days before on February 3rd, Wing ran Corrigan Hall, and uh, Miguel Perez worked a match where he refused to cheat. You know, he was with the uh, Puerto Rican. Uh, family with Victor Canones, and Victor Canones is trying to get him to cheat, and he refuses. And after the match, he loses, and he shakes, I believe it was Matsunaga, I'm off the top of my head, but he shakes the baby face's hand, and Canones is like, what are you doing? You know. So then this leads up to the February 5th show, where uh, Miguel Perez is with the Puerto Rican team, with Kim Duck, um, and it was kind of a, um, it was kind of like a, um, a gauntlet kind of match, where it would be, it would be singles matches between the Four, uh, the four te- uh, the four guys on each team and so like when one one person would, would lose be eliminated then another the wrestler from the team that um, just lost the guy that just got eliminated a new wrestler would come in until you know all four guys would be eliminated so Miguel Perez ends up being the last guy um, on the por- uh, Puerto Rican family and he ends up um, you know against Matsunaga and he ends up losing and Afterwards, uh, the you know because he lost, and now Kim Duck has to retire, and the uh, Puerto Rican family have to are pretty much suspended for a couple months. Um, you know, so they're all upset, and Miguel Perez is you know is at fault, and you know they're pissed off at him from two days earlier, so they attack him, and the, you know the whole team is the whole Puerto Rican team is going after him, beating him down and everything, and the wing team, uh, which is you know Kanemura, um, Pogo. Matsunaga, they're just watching. And Kanemura is freaking out. Going, he wants to go save uh, Perez. He, you know, and Matsunaga and Pogo are like, don't, you know, don't even bother. That's their fight. You know, don't. And Kanemura just can't help himself. So he rushes in and he starts fighting all the Puerto Rican guys. He ends up getting beaten down until Pogo and Matsunaga and Takuda end up rushing the ring as well to finally chase off the Puerto Rican uh, family away. And so, you know, Perez sees this, you know, what Kanemura did. And as a result, you know, they shake hands and form a relationship and they end up forming a team. Uh, once, uh, Perez's suspension, which I think was like two months once he, when he came back, they formed a team, a tag team. Cool. Um, some new guys in wing at this time. Uh, one of them that jumped out is going to be, uh, killer Kyle. Yeah, he was just a Smoky Mountain guy. Uh, Victor Canones was working with uh, Jim Cornette at the time, so he was just one of the guys that um, just came in through the Smoky Mountain relationship. All right, cool. And um, Iron Horse. That was Rick Patterson. Um, you know, he was from Canada. Uh, they brought him in, and uh, this was before he ended up becoming Leatherface. Right. And uh, the last one that caught my eye, we, uh, we've talked about Crash, the turt. Terminator, but uh, they brought in a tag team team partner named Bash. Yeah, that was Carl Olette, who was um, Pierre of the Quebecers in WWF and WCW, um, Jean-Pierre Lafitte uh, in WWF also. So, you know, he had a pirate gimmick and everything. So that was um, that was Carl uh, Olette. Right. And um, one last one with, uh, you know, there's three monsters in wing at this time. There's Jason, the terrible Leatherface, and then... Freddy Krueger comes in a little bit later, but uh, Dave writes a lot about who's under the mask for Jason, the 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 terrible. Uh, who are the different wrestlers under this mask? Well, originally it was Roberto Rodriguez, who's from Puerto Rico, but um, eventually they would bring in another Jason the Terrible, who would be Tracy Smothers. And it wasn't even a secret. Like, tra- you know, the mask would get knocked off, you know, several times, and it would show that it was Tracy Smothers. Yeah, and I I think that Jason went on to have the best run. I mean, he had a pretty good run in FMW and also Big Japan when they launched. So I was always a big fan of Jason the Terrible. Um, Also, in other news, uh, now opened their their first tour on February 14th, and Onita appeared on this show. What type of impact did Onita have on the drawing power of this show? Um, I mean, the, uh, the, he it ended up drawing 1,900, um, which I think is kind of equivalent to legitimate 1,300, 1,400. So it was by no means a sellout, but now was doing so poorly at this time. I mean, it was, you know, at least a legitimate crowd, you know, nothing to be embarrassed about, even though, you know, most, uh, but most, you know, like F&W was doing a lot better, but, um, you know, it brought in some legitimacy and, you know, to the crowd and, you know, he, he was a draw, but it still wasn't a sellout by any one new face on the FMW tour is going to be Attila the Hun. Uh, do you have any info about him? Yeah, that was Tommy Starr. Uh, at the time, he was working in, in Tampa for the ICWA promotion. Um, after FMW, he worked a lot in the Michigan uh, Independence up until about 2015. 
Cool. And uh, one final note that was always fun. I love to read these. Uh, in this month, Dave would mention that a group called called ECW is going to start running shows in the Philly area. <clears throat> it's just a little tiny byline. I love reading those little things. Uh, going into March, Ken, uh, Kanemura began his uh, foreign excursion starting in Florida, uh, doing mostly tag team matches uh, before moving to Smoky Key before moving to SMW. Uh, on March 1st, they had the famous Kevin Sullivan angle where Sullivan stabs Kenimura in the arm repeatedly with a giant knife. Um, it's very graphic, very brutal. How much of this is planned? How much of it is in the heat of the moment? How much of it is like the smoke and mirrors? And was this a major injury? It, um, it, it wasn't a major, I mean, he needed to get stitches afterwards. So pretty much what happened was, um, you know, Canimer, they, they told him, they told Jim Cornette, you know, he's going to blade his arm and Cornette wasn't really like keen on that, but oh, so he, but he agreed on it. And so, um, Sullivan ends up taking his golden spike and spiking it in Kanemura's arm. Well, at first, nothing's really coming out. Nothing's really coming out. And the crowd's just sitting there, and you know they don't even really know who Kanemura is or anything like that. But Kanemura ends up uh, pretty much blading the fat in his arm, and it results in this huge gash that was really deep, and then that results in the blood that's coming out. And uh, you know, at this time, Kanemura's bleeding every show, and so, I mean, it was an extensive amount of blood um, for the time, you know, even for him at that time. But I mean, he and he ended up going to needing to go to the hospital and stitches and whatnot. But it was nothing like where he would need time off or anything like that. Okay. Um. Yeah. If you are if you are able to see it, there's a television version where they put an X over the screen, but you can still see it. It's one of the really grosser uh, angles that I've ever seen. To go back a little bit, on February 16th, uh, Onita had a barbed wire death match against uh, Mike Awesome, the Gladiator. But this match would end in a bit of. Uh, a tragedy that would go on to affect FMW uh, for the next few few months. What happened during this match? Okay, so this was the match um, when I was referring to earlier about um, Onita jumping in, into the lake and everything, and, and Meltzer assuming that this was the in, you know that was the injury. But what ended up happening for this match actually was that it was a, a barbed wire match, and barbed wire ended up getting you know wrapped around Onita, and some of the barbed wire ended up going down his throat, and. And that resulted in him not being not being able to breathe or anything like that, and required major surgery. And he was out for a while. He ended up losing. You know, this is where he needed to stay in the hospital for weeks, um, and wasn't able to train or anything like that. And I mean, he almost died again. So essentially, it was almost it was the second time in two months that Onita almost died, and this was even more serious. Um, and so he was out of action for a couple months as a result of this injury because he almost suffocated to death and uh going into march onita would be off of these shows how did the attendance do in march it dropped um you know they still were pretty decent i mean they still drew their crowds and you know they had the hardcore fans but they're you know they the the numbers were definitely down and i mean it wasn't something that they could survive a long period of time uh without onita at this point all right um, now, um, when I was reading the results, there was this odd show, uh, FMW, they ran a show on March 5th in, in Kurokin Hall. Uh, it was main evented by Goto versus Sabu, and they wouldn't run again until the 15th. Um, why was there this one spot show in between the two tours? The March 5th show was the end of the February tour. So the February tour went into the first, you know, week of March, and then they cut off the 10-day break, and then March 15th or so, uh, you know, the second Corgan Hall show was the beginning of the second tour. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Um, at this time, uh, Dave reports that the May 5th show is going to be, uh, is going to have Funk ver uh, Terry Funk versus the Sheik, and of course it would then turn into Onita, Onita versus Funk. What were the politics involved in that in 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 booking Funk for this you know this big match? Uh, pretty much the only thing was is, you know Onita offered him a good deal of money. Funk uh, was still still loyal to Giant Baba and all Japan. He hadn't worked anywhere else, but it was a good deal of money, and you know he knew Onita from years back, and so he had he had to ask uh, Giant Baba with his you know and get his blessing. He knew he was going to get the blessing, um, but he asked anyway, and Giant Baba let him um, you know 
compete in FMW because he really wasn't working for All Japan that much anymore. So that was the only thing that, you know, the only thing that he needed to go through. Um, after that, um, you know, it just had to deal with, with the money situation. Okay, cool. Um, and finally, on the FMW side for the month of March, on March 29th, they had his first non-sellout in in Kuroken Hall uh, without Onita, but in the main event, the Sheik turned back heel, uh, heel attacking Goto. Um, is FMW flipping faces and heels a lot, or is it just me? No, they are. I mean, it's just something of... Um, Okay, let's get this match out of you know. Let's it's when you don't have that big of a roster, it's kind of to try and create new matches and everything like that. It's just switching around and uh, you know, with Sheik as a face can team up with Onita this week, but then you know, and then hey, but we can get this match the Sheik versus Goto the next you know month. Just things like that. It's just trying to you know fit it to where you're not having the same match over and over. But there and there might have been politics. You know, the Sheik might not have wanted to be a face really or anything like that it's just kind of you know dealing with the politics and just dealing with the creative creativity of how can we make more uh fresh fresh matches cool um and then uh one new face for these tours is going to be judge dread who is this um, there really isn't that much information on him. He's um, just a Michigan wrestler, uh, a Michigan independent wrestler. Um, he worked a couple uh, ECW shows in 96 after FMW, but there really isn't too much information about him other than he was um, a constant in the Michigan indies. Cool. And uh, I'm guessing he would have pro- he would have probably came in through the Sheik? I don't think so. I mean, it, it would have been Cebu, if, if anything, mm-hmm. um, at that. It, this was 96 or so, so it, it would have been a, it would, it probably would have been Cebu. Now, uh, on the wing side of things, on March, tw- on March 22nd, Leatherface pinned Mr. Pogo in a retirement match. Um, is there a planned story for this, or is Wing just throwing out booking things? No, so what happened was uh, Mr. Pogo had gotten into big-time trouble with the Yakuza in Osaka, or the Hyogo Osaka region. Um, he got into pretty much... Uh, a, it was a, a, he got in trouble with them at a bar. I wasn't given any details, um, but pretty much he was in, he was in a life-threatening situation at this time, and so he needed to get out of Japan, and so he ended up um, taking off for a month. And this was to kind of explain why he wouldn't be uh, with Wing the, the following month. Um, but yeah, he was scared for his life after coming up with it, uh, having issues with the Yakuza uh, due to something related at a at, at a Osaka he. Go bar. Now, um, later in the year, you kind of write about um, FMW's relationship with the Yakuza. Um, what does what is the relationship between the Japanese mafia and the Japanese companies? And um, you write a funny story about Sabu having a run-in. Well, yeah, so pretty much every uh, Japanese promotion uses the Yakuza. Um, a lot of it is where, hey, you know, let's say FNW. FNW will pay the Yakuza to go out and sell the tickets of the show. And they go around to, to markets and, you know, stores or anything like that. And they go up and they, you know, go, hey, you, you know, you're a big store. You need to buy 10 tickets. And they don't really have a choice. So they'll buy the, you know, they have to buy the 10 tickets. Now, if it's a small store, they might only have to buy two or three tickets, you know. So they are, quote unquote, considerate of, you know, the, the size of, the, you know, of, of the business so a lot of the times you know a lot of fans are buying so tickets are being bought for shows but they're not actually going to the shows um but yeah so the yakuza is very well known um you know again throughout japan um you know they get front row seats and they're dressed kind of you know in a in you know if you're if you're looking for them, you'll find them, kind of thing. You'll know, who, um, you know, kind of trench coats and hats and you know, kind of, kind of what you figure. So um, with the Sabu incident, though, Sabu, you know, was told, do not, you know, hey, the accuses front row, you know, when you're doing all your moves and everything, don't, you know, touch them, don't get in their way, you know, you don't want to mess with them. Sabu doesn't care. Sabu ends up, um, you know, doing a flip or going into the crowd right into them. 
and that pissed them off so much and they're they go backstage afterwards and they want to kill sabu and they're uh, you know they're beating the crap out of him and everything like that backstage and the gladiator sees what's going on sees sabu getting the crap beat out of him he ends up having to fight the yakuza to fight him off to get sabu grab sabu throws him in the dressing room and they're then lock themselves in and the yakuza won't leave and so it takes onita coming out and having to talk to them and i don't know what was said or anything like that but yeah, he had to convince the Yakuza, you know, hey, it, you know, can you can you leave, please? You know, I don't know what you know what was what was told or what you know they, he gave them to cool him down, but they wanted to kill Sabu, pretty much. Wow. Um, and just as a little side, uh, all of the uh, all of the wrestlers who have to, who have toured with Big Japan in the past f- fifteen years, they have some of these similar stories about how. Kojika would disappear after shows with these kind of trench coat guys, and then he would come back a few hours later, and then they would get paid for their tour and stuff. Um, so I don't know how prevalent it is nowadays, but it it was up until about 2005 or so. I think it's still there. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Um, now um, going into going into April, uh, just a quick side note: uh, the NOW company, uh, one of their top guys, Ishinriki. Uh, he would quit the the company mad at Kendo Nagasaki for working with FMW because he didn't like the violent style. Was this the beginning of of an angle, or did this guy really quit? Uh, he worked with in, uh, the NOW promotion until the end, so I don't really know the details, but I know he worked with them until the end. So if he quit, he came back soon afterwards. Okay. Um, now uh, Onita returned for his first match back since his. Injury and, and and also I want to say one thing about Onita at this time. There are pictures of him in the hospital and he looks like on death's door. Like they've done surgery on his neck. He's lost weight. He looks really bad. Um, he comes back on April twenty second to begin the hype for the big uh, the stadium show on May fifth against Terry Funk. Um, what type of health is he in? Is he ready for this match or is he coming back a bit early? Um, he pretty much this match was to get his win back. Um, you know, I mean, and it's not like Onita's expected to have a classic or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, he has his own way of kind of hiding the, you know, his limitations and whatnot. So, but this match specifically was to get his win back, to kind of get back in shape, and you know, to not just come come, you know, go into the Kawasaki match rusty. So, um, you know, and he was working out a lot because he, yeah, like you said, he lost a lot of weight. So it's just kind of getting back into the shape, um, you know, that he was used to. Um, also, at this time, in some news that brought uh, that brought a smile to my face, Tiger Jeet Singh and his uh, son would be let go from FMW during this tour. Uh, why are they let go? Uh, FMW pretty much just got sick of him. Um, you know, he's a very rich man and he's very, you know, um, he has a lot of power and a lot of pull and, you know, he has an ego and, you know, when he had the Onita match uh, last year, we went over why did they think about getting Abdullah the Butcher because he was such a headache. He didn't want a job. He did, he kept wanting to you know change the the storyline or whatnot. And even with the Onita match where he was specifically brought in, he you know didn't want to lose. And when he finally you know c- concluded to losing to Onita, he still kicked out like at three and one force. Like he didn't want to lose. So going forward, you already had the big match with Onita. You know you didn't draw that great with him. Um, you know, and he's just such a headache and he wants to change finishes. He wants to change, you know, who he's facing. He wants to have more power and it's just like, go away. Just, we're done with you. So yeah, they eventually just let him go because it was just too much of a headache and it wasn't worth it. Right. And, uh, just as a side note, we're not going to talk about him too much, but they wound up going to the, the N, uh, NOW company where they wrestled really shitty drawing shows (laughs) for the next year. Um, so going into May, um, FMW, they ran their big Kawasaki Stadium on May, fir- May 5th uh, between Onita and Funk, and this would be the first exploding ring match. I think this is the the Onita special, you know, where the whole ring just goes boom. Um, where did like where did the idea for this gimmick come from, and how did they do the the uh, you know the giant ring explosion? Uh, pretty much it was Onita's idea. He just, I mean, I don't know exactly how he came up with it, but it was just kind of like, let's take it a step further. Let's take it a step further. You know, we have the exploding barbed wire. We have, you know, the landmines. Hey, let's explode the ring. And so it was just kind of, you know, um, 
just kind of getting pyro and you know fire involved and you know and this one actually wasn't that impressive you know they um they built it up like it was going to be super impressive and everything um you know they show they did pictures at kawasaki a couple days before for the magazines and it was these huge explosions and um for this show specifically it really wasn't that impressive and um if you watch um the handheld version Version because the commercial video, um, they kind of stop it um, right when the explosion happens and make it dramatic, and you see the smoke and it, you know, and everything like that, and it, and they do a great job of editing it. But if you see the handheld version, it's not that impressive. It's just kind of boom, and you even see, you know, there's people in the crowd laughing. It just kind of like, oh, that was it. So you know, they did a great job of editing it and everything like that. But this wasn't too impressive. But they really sold it on the dramatics, you know, playing you know, dramatic music right afterwards and whatnot. So, um, but it was just, you know, it was the start of something that was a good idea because they ended up going with it more and using more explosives um, down the line. Very cool. Um, now, um, this match has always confused me. I can never figure out what's going on at the end. Basically what happens is um, Onita pins Funk at about the 13-minute mark or so, and the countdown is going, and Funk isn't getting up, and Onita runs in the ring, and he covers Funk, and then the boom goes off. I've always been kind of confused, like, who's the winner and what's going on at the end? Well, yeah, Onita wins, and so Onita's walking away. Okay, I won. Terry Funk just stays there. He stays down. And now, you know, the clock's ticking, and now we're, you know, down to a couple seconds left, and Onita sees Funk still laying there, and, you know, that's his you know that's his mentor that's the man he grew up loving and everything and so funk's not getting up and you know this explosion is seen as this is going to kill you you know this was this is dangerous this is deadly you know it hadn't been done at the time so anita rushes into the ring you know wake up terry wake up start smacking i'm trying to get him up you know come on get up and then you know TikTok three seconds left and he ends you know he's he can't get away now so he just has to cover his body and then so the explosion happens as if you know onita pretty much saves terry's life okay cool and um what is the reaction like from the press it was it, it did really well i mean the pictures are really impressive um um you know it was all over magazines it was over you know american magazines even uh showed it just because it was so you know this has never been done look what this crazy group is doing so it was a you know it's a success in as far as the media goes and it was a successful show as well um as far as attendance goes dave said the attendance was 41,000 with uh 32,000 paid um with the added cost of the match is this seen as a good turnout yeah, it's still that's still a good show, um, you know, still a good gate. Um, so it was it was a successful show, um, and you know, like I said, they didn't put that much into these explosives as they did down the line. Cool. Now, um, you wrote that Funk did not have good. Uh, he did not have a good time working with Onita at this time period. Why is that? Well, it was actually d down the line. So Funk ended up coming back um, in August, touring with um, FMW, and he wasn't paid what he was told he was going to get paid. So that really upset him. Like, hey, wait, you're, you know, you're my friend. You're my long-term friend, you know, long-time friend. You know, I'm your mentor, and you're stiffing me on the pay. So as a result, um, you know, Funk ended up getting, you know, pretty upset over um, his pay. And actually, I, I take it back. It might have actually been the following year even because he, he did end up coming back. But there ended up being a point where he didn't get paid what he wanted. He ended up leaving the promotion as a result. All right, cool. Um, now, this is also the time period where, you know, from, I would say, starting here and going forward, you know, Funk became the hardcore legend that we know of now. He starts doing more barbed wire matches and stuff. Um, does Funk have a, like, does he have a knowledge in his head that this is where his career is going to go, or is it all just happenstance? He's very smart. He knows where the business is heading. You know, um, there's always this, you know, he has a reputation of he knows what's going to be popular three years before it gets popular. And so he sees this in Japan, you know, this hardcore style, and he knows, like, this is the future of wrestling. It, you know, it hasn't been done at the time, and it's picking up in Japan and everything like that, and this is what's going to be popular. And I mean, and he was right, you know, 97, 98, you know, ECW, um, WWF Attitude, everything like this, and eventually, you know, came from it. FMW, you know, was the start of it, and Funk knew that, you know, at the time. Cool. 
Um, now, uh, a, a couple other, um, so this show was a big thing. There were lots of matches. There were lots of matches from outside companies. And one of them was, uh, there was a Mishinoku Pro match. Um, and this had, uh, and this also had in it the great, great Sasuke. Uh, the great Sasuke would go on to become kind of an FM, FMW regular. Uh, what is the history of this guy at this point? Um, so his name is Masanori Murakawa. He started up uh, in Universal, um, you know, with the, the Lucha Libre uh, Japanese promotion. And he ended up going to Mexico where he developed, uh, you know, he started um, wearing the mask, a Ninja Sasuke mask. And that's what he ended up uh, becoming Ninja Sasuke while in Mexico. Um, he ends up, you know, coming. Coming back to Japan as a great Sasuke, Universal's not doing very well, and he's got a lot of money. He comes from a lot of money, and so he, you know, he enjoys he he enjoys you know that style of wrestling. He sees you know his promotion's about to go down, so he decides to start up his own promotion. He has the money to fund it, and but he has it in North Japan in the Tohoku Tohoku uh, uh, region, and so he ends up starting that promotion in March of '93. Cool, and um, I'm I'm just curious. Did did you see the movie they made about him a couple of years ago? The documentary? No, I haven't seen that. It's I've seen good. I've seen clips. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was on a plane flight. I took a flight with Qatar Airlines, and it was on there. I had to watch it. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> also on the show, uh, in the women's uh section, Combat Toyota and Megumi Kudo, they actually defeated uh all Japan women's top tag team of Manami to Toyota and Yamada. Um. Now, last year we talked about how the FMW women, they were actually pulled from tours because they were doing so many jobs. What led to the uh, the switch here? Well, that was um, Toshia and Maida Mori, who were not nearly as talented as Megumi Kudo in Combat Toyota. Um, so that was the difference right there, where they could, last year, or, you know, in 92, they couldn't have Toshia and Maida Mori beat these all-Japan women wrestlers because they were so far above them. Takuto and Toyota, you know, they weren't, you know, and Toyota's one of the great, uh, Minami Toyota's one of the greatest wrestlers. Megumi Kudo and Combat Co Toyota could keep up with her. And, you know, they had the All Japan uh, women's history uh, coming from there. So uh, pretty much what they decided, um, FNW and All Japan women, was they would have two matches. Um, the first one would be at Dream Slam for All Japan women's uh, at the Yokohama Arena in April 93. And that's where, um, you know, Toyota and uh, Yamada would get the win. And and then as a result, you know, they would end up doing the job for the FNW girls at the Kawasaki show. And so it's just kind of, hey, well, you know, you get this match from us, you know, and you get a draw, you know, you get two drawing, uh, two drawing, two draws as in with Kudo and Toyota for the main event. And, you know, a month later, uh, Toyota and Yamada will come in and that will help draw as well. And I actually asked Minami Toyota about this match about 10 years ago, and she had no memory of this match whatsoever. So she, because uh, it, it's a great match. I, I really enjoyed, you know, the Kawasaki match. The Dream Slam match was kind of a disappointment, but the Kawasaki match is really good. Um, but Toyota Minami has no memory of that match at all. Now, um, also on this tour, uh, Luis Spicoli would end end his run with FMW. Uh, why was he fired? So he actually was fired um, back in 92. But what ended up happening was um, he was on the tour bus and he was with Sabu and he goes, man, Sabu, I got to pee really bad. And Sabu goes, well, just pee in a cup and throw it out the window of the bus. Like, you know, I mean, and these are, you know, six, seven, eight hour tour you know, buses with no bathroom or anything like that. And so Sabu tells him, you know, just pee in the cup and, and toss it out the window. So he does that. Bus driver sees that, reports it to Onita. Onita fires them. Yeah, that's always uh, that sucks. Um, you also so wrote that FMW signed an agreement with Kawasaki Stadium for FMW to have the date every year on May fifth. Um, I'm just curious, what uh, in theory, what other events would be going against F FMW vying for that date? Baseball shows or baseball games still and everything. It was still a baseball field at the time. So, um, you know, they had to go up against the, I, I never get the name, but it was a Kawasaki baseball team. So, um, you know, but they formed a relate, you know, Onita formed a relationship with them, you know, right away. And so he signed, you know, signed this deal going, Hey, if you just give us May 5th, make sure there's no, you know, games or anything like that on May 5th. So we can have the show. Now, um, I've always thought, thought about this when I went to I actually went to a Tokyo Dome baseball game 
and you know there's like 70,000 people and then when you go to the New Japan Tokyo Dome now there's like 30 and i i i always wondered what is you know what is the cost difference for the 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 the, the stadium in running a normal baseball game versus a once a year wrestling thing well, I think that baseball teams have a deal with the stadium. Usually, you know, they have a specific deal with with the to you know the Tokyo Dome, where you know, um, you know, they work together, um, you know, a, a partnership. Whereas New Japan goes, hey, we're going to give you this much money to run the show, you know, to be able to run this building. So it. You know, it's just a partnership, and you know, and that's the case a lot of the way, a lot of the case for the Major League Baseball teams as well, where. You know, that's their stadium, but the building can rent out to other shows, you know, a concert or something like that as well. But the baseball games get the priority. So when Onita reached out to them, you know, signing that deal, it was kind of like, hey, you know, please just give us May 5th every year and we're good. Okay, cool. Now, um, also on May 5th, uh, Wing had, had their, their, their biggest show drawing 5,600 fans to Odawa for a spike nail match between Matsunaga and leather their face and um also one of the new guys coming in is, is going to be bart sawyer i don't know that much about bart sawyer what is uh what is his like uh his story he was uh wrestling in memphis and portland and he had been wrestling in wcw as well around that time period so um it was probably through you know just probably through the portland connection um a bunch of guys that had been in through portland earlier in the time uh earlier with wings so it was probably through that and um, Vampiro was scheduled to come in for this tour for Wing, but he uh, he did not show up. Do you um, do you know why? No, I don't have any real information. I mean, he might have been injured. He didn't work um, any shows. He worked mid-April um, in Mexico, and he didn't work again till late May. And so this would have been you know the first week of May. So he might have just been injured during this time period because he was out for about six weeks. One more no show is going to be. Eddie Gilbert, he was supposed to come into Wing as the Freddy Krueger uh, character, but what kept Eddie from going to Wing? He was booked for an ECW show, and he just decided to, you know, the ECW show was more important. I mean, I think he was booking, he or, you know, he was a main part of ECW at this point, and, I mean, I don't think he had any intention of going to Wing at that point. Cool. And uh, and finally, on May 7th, Onita, uh, he made a, a previously agreed-upon appearance for the Universal Pro promotion at Kurroken Hall, but he was unable to wrestle on the show. What is the relationship like between the two companies? Yeah, so he wasn't able to work the show because he was still banged up from two days earlier at Kawasaki. Um, but, you know, Universal was also, like I said, Universal was kind of dying at this point, um, and they just wanted a draw. And so they had Onita, um, you know, come in, um, you know, address the crowd and everything like that. So it was kind of a disappointment, I imagine, for them that he couldn't work. Um, but, you know, they kind of were trying to form a relationship. But like I said, Universal wasn't going to make it much longer. So, um, you know, it was just kind of a grasp for, hey, let's just try and bring in a draw. All right, cool. And uh, as we move on into June, uh, we're going to have some big news in a moment. But first, on June 18th, uh, Matsunago wrestled Leatherface in a Lights Out match. Um, I've never been a fan of these. What are the origins of this match, and how should it properly be done? Well, I, I believe around this time period would have been one of the first ones in Japan where, yeah, they just turn off all the lights so the crowd can't really see what's going on um, too much. I mean, you see just the flashes of the cameras and everything like that, but it's kind of supposed to add like a spooky atmosphere and, you know, you can't really see what's going on other than, you know, just kind of the shadows and whatnot. But um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it ends up usually not a very good match, but every promotion pretty much has tried it at least once or every death match promotion seems like they've tried it at least once. Yeah, um, I actually, when I went and saw Freedom's Bloody Christmas last year, they had uh, Kasai versus Gunzo, and it was this lights-out match. And, you know, I went in with these high hopes of, you know, seeing this great match, and I turned to a friend and I just said, this sucks. Like, I, I hate this. I'm sorry. Um, uh, so also, also on the June tour, FMW, they're running these series of penalty box matches. Uh, what, is the, what are the rules to, the, to, uh, to this match? It's pretty much just having like kind of a shark cage, you know, little little cage uh, box outside the ring and trying to throw your opponent in it to lock them up. And so it'd be kind of like a handicap match. Um, 
but it ends up uh, going into uh, later in the tour, um, you know, setting up an angle for later in the tour. So they did, they were doing it every show for a reason. All right, cool. And, uh, and uh, before we get to that reason, real quick, on June 20th, Dave noted that FNW ran a show where in the main event, Team Canada revealed a manager named Mr. Chin. Uh, Mr. Chin would go on. He had a couple matches, but he plays us. Uh, he, he plays a role in some of the stories. Who was Mr. Chin? He is an old-time wrestler from the IWE promotion. I went over that bunch of, a couple episodes ago, where you know it was kind of it was kind of the gritty FMW like promotion in the '70s. You know, cage matches and brawling and blood and everything. And he was one of the workers there. And um, you know, I guess you know he had a relationship with Onita. And I mean, he was he was frail and pretty much done at this point and he actually ended up only living two more years after this this run but you know he was just you know he was brought in just to kind of job and you know do comedy matches everything like that um but yeah so you know he was about 60 years old and so onita i guess just you know had a soft spot for him and brought him in to uh um you know to work uh, opening match and lose to the rookies and this leads to june 23rd where we will stop the the show pretty much um what happened on June 23rd in Nagata? Uh, so Mr. Pogo pretty much comes back. Um, what happened is FMW uh, reaches out to Mr. Pogo a couple months earlier, and uh, um, uh, they offer him uh, $10,000 uh, a show to appear as well as a, um, a f pretty much a fee to, well, they pay him to leave Wink. So, but that that uh, number was never released or anything like that. So I don't know how much um, that was, but so he's pretty much gonna end up making about, um, about $13,000 a month or so. And that was just so much more than he was making for Wing. And um, he comes in, uh, you know, and attacks Onita and, uh, he, you know, during the case, uh, during the penalty box matches, throws Onita into the uh, penalty box and blows his fireball at Onito while he's stuck in the in the penalty box. Oh. Now, um, did did Pogo hold any any ownership stake in Wing? No, it was all Mickey Ibaragi at that point. Um, so he, no, you know, he wouldn't have left if he owned part of the company. Okay, and um, what is the so and what are the angles that that Pogo is starting? So he's coming in just to to start a feud with Onita, right? Yeah, so he um, he comes in, you know, just pretty much to be the number one heel at this point, to be the main guy. You know, they had success in '90 and '91 with their matches, and. You know, he was and also it's kind of get him away from Wink, you know, to hurt Wink. And so, you know, they they just offer him so much more money that Wink can offer. You know, I mean, make he'd probably make around, you know, he's probably making around uh, 130, 140,000 on top of the, the money he got to, you know, to jump ship as well. So he's making so much more money. And, you know, it's just it was a decision he made uh, finance, financial financially. And, you know, Wink was a big hit to wing and Onita knew that was going to, you know, he was doing it to kind of screw with wing. Like I, I want this guy back. So I'm going to, you know, bring him, I'm going to pay him this much money to bring him back. And wing ended up uh, suffering as a result. What is the reaction in wing like between the office and also the boys? Well, uh, Matsunaga does an angle where he ends up going to Pogo's house with cameras and, you know, banging on Pogo's door and everything. You know, Pogo, you're a coward. You know, show yourself. You're scared of me, you know, and all that. And, um, you know, just kind of get attention, just kind of like put him over as, you know, just try and bury Pogo as much as possible. You know, Pogo's like, what's going on? I'm not going to answer that door. You know, just kind of, you know, something like that just it it tried to you know it, it's just tr it was just kind of a uh, last ditch effort to try and get you know pogo kind of bury pogo on the wing end um but yeah they, they were pretty mad i mean they were pretty mad at um onita wing was at this point for what for what he did they you know it was a big it was a competition it was a war between the two and you know onita you know really hurt them as a result yeah um now and fi and uh finally so um F uh, FMW, they have a show coming up on July 24th at the Kitakyushu Stadium uh, that was previously listed as having an Onita versus Sheik retirement match, but this, of course, turned into an Onita versus Pogo. Um, how late was this booking change made? 
around the time Pogo came back, you know, they knew we're going to pay him this much money. We got two stadium shows on the way. We're going to, you know, see how well this Onita Pogo feud does. Cause you know, it did so well in 90 and 91. Let's see if, you know, if, if we can recreate the magic uh, in, you know, in 93. All right. And, and, that's where we're going to stop, and we will indeed see if they can recreate that uh, the magic that they had from 1991. Um, in the meantime, uh, Bahu just put up a huge update about Onita and FMW and also Guts and a couple of the other talent. Um, Brett, if you could, if you just want to run us down, what is going on with the FMW brand? Uh, the FMW brand. We are recording this, by the way, on December 14th of 2017, so if you can let us know what's going on. Well, for the Super Battle FNW promotion, it's just pretty much going to be um, a six-man tag on December 22nd with um, Katsushi Miyamoto is the top heel, and now he's going to go after you know Masato Tanaka. Um, I guess Tanaka's kind of going to be the baby, the baby face, and we'll see where that goes um, after the show. I mean, they're still only running one show a month, it looks like, though. Um, as far as Onita, though, um, he had a show. He promoted a show about 10 days ago or so, 11 days ago, and he was just the referee and he um you know brought his barbed wire bat to the ring and used it on you know, it was in a battle royal he was the referee and you know he was hitting uh you know he was hitting wrestlers with the with the bat he was spitting mist he was doing you know he was pile driving one of the wrestlers in the box battle royal so he was still doing all his spots you know that's what the fans came to see and everything was onita you know with but it wasn't official he was obviously wasn't in officially in the match so he didn't technically you know come out of retirement or anything like that and then uh afterwards he announced um that he has a special project he wants to um he wants to reveal he doesn't he's going to reveal it in april April. Um, nobody really knows what it is. I mean, it might be a new promotion, but he's not, he doesn't want to say anything yet. Um, but it'll come out in April. What his special, he says his dream project is. And then, uh, also Mr. Ganoske is in the, uh, he's in the news. Yeah, so he's going to um, – so the Guts World promotion just lost their top guy, uh, Daisuke. Um, he retired um, about 10 days ago as well. Um, he, you know, had hip, he had a hip injury, and it, he just felt it was he was never going to recover from it, and he wanted to live a normal life. So he was – and their top guy, they were – you know, so he retired. Guts World doesn't feel that they could really go on without him, and so they decided that they're going to close shop in April. Um, and Ganesuke came back from retirement. Uh, he was working the Guts World office uh, at the time, and they asked him, hey, do you want to come back about three years ago? So his, you know, the whole reason he came out of retirement uh, in the first place was for the Guts World promotion. And so with that promotion closing, and he's about to hit 50, he has decided that he's going to, you know, retire again in April um, on the final show. Um, so, you know, he, his loyalties to Guts and with it, with it closing down, he, you know, and his body just, you know, it's at its, it's at its maximum of just age and just wear and tear everything and he just decide, he he wants to just get away from the business at this point so after he retires in april he says he's going to move back to uh, kyushu which is in southern japan where he um is originally from and just uh start a normal life for the first time since he was a young boy when he started in fmw all right cool and um as a final note uh freedoms announced the main event for bloody christmas this year is going to be jack versus kasai which is t which is Technically, the last part of a tr uh, uh, trilogy of matches that they've had since 2016. Um, what do you feel about that match? Do you think that that's going to be a good uh, a good top match for the company? Yeah, I mean, and I, I kind of saw it coming. At least the June Kasai main event in the Christmas Death Match show, I, I saw that coming. I was I thought it was going to be against um, Daisuke Masayaka, um, but with they they switched it with for Jack and you know Jack's really over and Jack can have really great matches and you know it's gonna you know it's gonna be a great you know death match it's gonna be um, you know they haven't announced the, the stipulation yet or anything like that but um, I mean I'm sure you know uh, and I'm, I'm gonna guess that Kasai ends up winning the title back just with uh, I, I don't think I don't think Jack is gonna be um, with Freedoms at the start of the new year um, he'll probably come back later in the year but so I, I see Kasai winning um, and I'm sure it'll be a great match and i'm sure it's going to do really well samurai tv is going to air it as well so they see it as a big deal because they um rarely uh broadcast um freedom shows yeah and it's actually gonna be on a quick turnaround it's only a couple days later where usually it's a couple weeks later if they ever do air um and one last question is because i want to ask you who do you think kenji 
Fukumoto's, uh, yeah, who do you think his opponent will be? Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, um, I probably need to think about it for, <laughs> sorry, I, I, um, I, I had an idea yesterday when I was writing about it, but then I've completely already blanked it out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have no clue. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going down the roster and I'm just like, unless it's going to, because, uh, Freedom is actually going to be bringing in Jackie Numazawa next year. Uh, and I wonder yeah, if Yeah, it might be a Big Japan there. guy because yeah. Fukimoto has done Big Japan work um, over the you know over the last couple months. So it might be, you know, if I had to guess, actually, that's what I was thinking. It was, I think it's going to be a Big Japan guy. Yeah, same. Well, all right, cool. Well, we're going to stop there, and uh, we'll come back with the next episode to finish out 1993.